Thank you, Lee, and good morning. It's just a joy to be here. This feels very familiar, and uh, just think of all the times we spent here. Uh, but thank you, Craig, for the opportunity, for the invitation from the congregation to to have this moment to share. Uh, it's uh, it's just a joy to be in, on this particular day when we dedicate this uh, marker. Uh, Larry, I know what goes into that. We did that at First Church Lexington, and that's not an easy task. So congratulations to you, too, and everyone who worked with you. Uh, Sherry and I uh, are part of your story, and we, we celebrate that with you today. I think about the, the shared moments we've had with you, but also the, the life that we shared with many of your pastors who have been here before that, that we've known, and, uh, and just be a part of that continual line throughout the 200 years uh, to be in that list. It's, it's an honor. And so thank you for the, uh, including us in that as well. And thank you for your continued prayer and support. Uh, you, uh, many of you kept up with us and we, we thank you for your encouragement. Uh, that means a lot. Uh, and I keep Craig and the church on my daily prayer list knowing that uh, the kingdom work continues here. Uh, we're still part of that story and wanna share that with you. So God bless you as you continue that. Uh, I could pronounce the benediction now and we really ready to go. but. Uh, I've uh, I put some thoughts together here, and I want you to stay with me. So our text is verse 12 of Psalm 90. Uh, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, open our hearts and minds now to this word, to engraft it to our souls, that we may live in the fullness of the life that you've come to give. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. My first recollection of this uh, verse was on December 31st, 1969, around 11.15 p.m. Uh, I was sitting in the Harrison Memorial United Methodist Church in Stanford, and we had a guest speaker that night for a watch night service. And he preached on this passage, and he said, don't ever forget this verse. And he said, and practice it. And you notice that it says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Well, I've been doing that, and uh, I'm here 18,000 585 days after he shared that. Uh, and I've been numbering my days since then. Now I lived 624 days before that evening, which really makes a total of 24,834 days. I've been numbering my days. Now, the psalmist wasn't thinking that we would expressly and uh, explicitly number our days, literally do that. But he's talking about perspective, perspective. Now consider this for a moment. By my calculation, State Street Church has been in existence for at least 73,000 days. Now that means that I've lived a third of the days that this congregation has existed. Uh, that's perspective. I think I've lived a third of the life of this congregation. That's, that's pretty amazing. Now, I spent 2,555 days as senior pastor of this, which was the longest pastorate that I had of any, any appointment. Now that represents one-tenth of my life, so I just want to say that I've given a tithe of my life to you. Okay? That, that's perspective, isn't it? Now, many of you, though, have given a whole lot more than a tithe to this church, a tithe of your life. Now, Psalm 90 is almost a perfect psalm to, uh, to share on uh, an anniversary, to commemorate an anniversary as this. It's an ancient psalm that's written before the time of David. It's called A Prayer of Moses. Now, we don't know if Moses actually wrote it, but it certainly is an ancient hymn, an ancient song. Uh, and it does not address past conditions. It's really interesting. It doesn't talk about immediate challenges 
or future concerns. Uh, there's no sense of anxiety in this psalm. There's no stress. There's no fear in these words. There's no despair or complaint. But what we see in this marvelous psalm is our matters of fact. Matters of fact. The psalmist is just saying, this is the way things are. Matters of fact. And, uh, and they really help us to put life in perspective. I think that's why it's been treasured all these years in the canon of scripture. Now in several monastic traditions, Psalm 90 uh, quite appropriately was sung or, or, or read at the beginning of every day to put things into perspective. And if you think about that, the worshiper, the, the prayer would, would read this Psalm and before all the bombardment of skepticism and, uh, and cynicism and pessimism and all the things that can skew our perspective of life, the psalmist, the prayer, would begin with this psalm. So you might want to keep that in mind. Now we don't know if this was actual Moses prayer, but we do know this, is that it's like taking a pause on our spiritual journeys. I want you to think about this this morning. It's almost like hitting a reset button before every day, before the next season of our lives, before the, the remaining chapters of, of the life of this congregation, we hit the reset button. We step back and we recapture a renewed perspective of the life that God intends for us to have. That's what this psalm does for us. It's wonderful. And, and, and we especially need this as we look back over the past 200 days, more or less for some. It's not been an easy period, has it? It's been very difficult. As we look back over the 200 years, it's not always been an easy journey, but today is a perfect day for you and me to hit that reset button. It's a good day for us to do that. Hit the reset button so that the perspective that God gives us in Psalm 90 will be ours every day. Now, what happens when we hit that reset button? Let me just touch a couple of things here with you. And if you bear with me, I prepared this, so I won't go long, but I may go a little longer, so just don't give up on me, okay? But the first one is this, and that is the eternality of God. Now, you may not use that word eternality. We're talking about the eternal nature of God. And again, I'm going to read these verses, the first six verses of Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all, all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth uh, the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then he shifts it to the temporality of you and me. You turn people back into dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away with, as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that has been renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes, and it's renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Just God's eternality and our temporality. There's a cathedral in Milan that has three doorways. And over those three doorways, there, there's, uh, there, there's an arch that has statements. And over one side, it says, all that pleases is but for a moment. And, and underneath is carved a beautiful wreath of roses. And over the opposite archway, there is another that says, all that troubles is but for a moment. And underneath that archway is, is inscribed a cross. But on the central archway is this statement. That only is important, which is eternal. So we have this moment in time of blessing and trouble, but what we've come back to is eternity, eternity. 
Now those arches really describe the themes of Psalm 90 and the themes of our lives as well. It's like two poles. And, and here are the poles. God is God and we are not. God is creator. We are creatures. God is eternal. We are mortal. God is our home. We are homesick. Uh, we're looking for a refuge. You see, we, we sing this powerful testimony. We will sing this powerful testimony in our closing hymn today that God is our help in ages past and it ends our eternal home. So there's something about eternity that appeals to us because of our mortality and our temporality. A, a friend once shared with me a statement that uh, thankfully I remember quite often. He says, when you need to think rightly about God, read Job 38 through 42. And I don't know if you've read that recently, but if anyone ever had a reason to complain to God, it was Job. Uh, here's someone who had such grief and had been mistreated uh, and was callously criticized by his friends. I mean, who could blame Job for losing his perspective on, uh, on the life that God had given him? And it just went in a moment. And many of you feel that way. It's just like cha change just happened so quickly. I wasn't ready for this. So, light, so perfect, so simple, so carefree, and then it changes drastically. Now, over the past 200 days, some have been through that much more. This novel coronavirus has disrupted our routines. Life has not been good. The world, the flesh, and the devil have come against you in some way, perhaps, or maybe in your own family, your own situations. It's not what you anticipated on New Year's Day 2020, right? We didn't anticipate all this. And, and maybe even recent events, you say, I'm not anticipating this. I don't know what this means. But you see, those divine appointments that we believe God has for us can be shattered by the disappointments that are so rough and so raw. They just get shattered. And, and li listen to what God has to say about that to Job. Chapter 38. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Kind of a little sarcasm there. Uh, who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Job, where were you when I was doing all this, right? And it goes on like that for four chapters. God was putting everything back into perspective. From everlasting to everlasting, I am God and you are not. That's a good perspective to have. That's a good reminder for us. Job's response is good. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And then he confesses, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak, I will question you and make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in ashes and dust. That's perspective. That's putting it right back where it was. You see, Job said, not as I had come to think down this line with all these disappointments, but he hits the reset button. 
And he puts things back into perspective. And in that, he says, God, you are God. I'm not. I repent, and I look to you. It's regaining that perspective that, that God is from everlasting to everlasting, and he's in control. You need to hear that today? Hit that reset button. That's a good word. Now, verses 7 through 11, the psalmist shifts the focus to the holiness of God. Now, hold on. This is, this is interesting. This gets interesting. Stick with me here. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your, uh, under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. All our days will be 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear do your name. Now, how many of you showed up this morning to hear a sermon on the wrath of God? <laughs> you talk about social distancing, that would do it in a moment, wouldn't it? <laughs> What's he talking about? That may not be what we'd expect on a 200-year anniversary message, but I believe that one reason this ancient psalm has been contained in the, in the canon of Scripture is because it's so realistic and so very down-to-earth. It's where we live. It's right where we live. In the hardness of life and the grimness of death, our brief existence on this earth is really a manifestation of the brokenness and the emptiness and the futility and the, the homesickness and death that God hates. God hates that for us, for us, not God's intention. You know, I did not know what sin was until I went to church. <laughs> Seriously, you know, it didn't bother me. It wasn't a big deal. I, I, I knew that a, a, a Christian was someone who repents and confesses his sins and asks Jesus into his heart that, that he could be forgiven and, and, and live with God and, and live forever uh, in heaven and, and get along with people and make a good life answering the call to help others and serve together and enjoy the fellowship of the church and be involved. I understood all that. But the more I learned about Jesus, the more I learned about myself, and the more I learned about myself, the more I learned that the things in my life weren't always so pleasing, not because of what was in my head that I didn't understand or what was in my hands that I did or my feet where they took me, but in my heart, in my heart. And there wasn't anything I could do about that. I didn't have a clue what to do about that. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's right where I was. I remember hearing a, a, a lecture on the holiness of God, that God is wholly transcendent, you know, the mysterium tremendum, the, the other than, the, the awful and all this. And I, I realized God's way out there, way beyond me, the righteous one whose character demands what is right and good. And, and I felt that. And I thought, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to live this life. And that the basis of biblical theology was there. And you know what I realized? God was my problem. <laughs> God was my problem. I didn't know what to do with God. And then I understood this one day. I heard this. That the convictor of my heart was also the one who convinces me of, con of redeeming grace. 
He loved me so much that he wouldn't leave me where I was. And so he hated that in me and for me in order to help me to experience the better way. The one whose presence I feared because he knows all about me is the one who is desperately seeking to be with me. That's an amazing thought. That's just a powerful thought. The one who convicts me is the one who convinces me of love. Uh, the one who is holy is the one who wholly loves me. Only God is capable of doing that, that which I could never do for myself. Now, before you think this is theological or just very personal, this should not be new to any of us. This isn't surprising. We hit this reset button time and time again. In fact, this reset button has been hit hundreds of thousands of times in this sanctuary or in this church over 200 years. We hit that reset button every time we respond to these words as we approach the Lord's table. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Will you say it with me? Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Every time we say that, we say, God has done for us in Jesus Christ on the cross what we could never do for ourselves. Christ has died for us. And we also say that he was raised in resurrection power and lives to intercede for us day by day by day and in every kind of day. We say that, we affirm that. Christ is risen. And then we say Christ will come again. And in Christ will come again, we are saying that we live in the hope that in the power of his life, we can live free from that sin that enslaves us, filled with his boundless love so that we live and we give and we serve across the street and around the world. We make a difference every day in the hope because Christ will come again. Now, I thought I'd get a big amen on that one. <laughs> that's just, that's the wonder, wonderful thing. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and, for all, and he died for all, uh, that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so, he says, hit the reset button. This is a new perspective. We regard now no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. You see the change? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world in himself, to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's our call, that's our, you know, I have no doubt that this perspective, this perspective, was in those members who gathered in a small room 200 years ago and began as a Methodist society that eventually became State Street United Methodist Church. They knew that perspective and they hit that button every time they took the Lord's uh, uh, elements into their lives and let God bless them. And today, friends, we hit that reset button and renew that perspective. Now, let me, let me quickly share this last point. 
The psalmist points to one more perspective here in these last few verses. Therefore, having said these things about the eternality of God and the holiness of God, he says, therefore, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then he prays, relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion uh, on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. May your deeds be known to your servants, your splendor and glory to your children. May the favor of the Lord rest upon us. Establish the work of your hands, Lord. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Isn't it interesting that the eternality of God, the holiness of God, and then he says the goodness of God. And this is a prayer, a prayer for the goodness of God. We pray for the goodness of God every day, don't we? Oh Lord, our lives are so, so short. Teach us to have hearts of wisdom that we'll know where to hit that reset button. And so the psalmist ends this by teaching us to pray, help, have compassion, satisfy us, treat us better than we deserve. And this very important part of that prayer, bless our children because of how we live today. Bless our children because of how we live today. <laughs> Talk about perspective. What, what do you pray for, your next, for the next generation, for your children, your children's children? That they make a lot of money or accrue a lot of stuff or achieve worldly success or adoration by their peers? How about this prayer? That they see the goodness and the splendor of the Lord. That they wake up every morning declaring, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what this day is, I'll know God's presence and power. That God is good, God is holy, and God is loving, and, and there's nothing that separates us from the love of God because of Jesus Christ. That God is good all the time, all the time. I will trust him today and forever. So, let us pray for our children and our children's children to see the full glory of the Lord because of how we live today. One of my favorite lines in the, in the musical Hamilton is this, I may not live to see our glory, but I will gladly join the fight. And when our children tell our story, they'll tell the story of today. Today, not over the last 200 years, today. So it occurred to me what the best day for State Street Church has been, is, or ever will be, is today. This is our best day, today. We put it in perspective and we pray, Lord, teach me to number my days our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom today. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this day, this very good day, when we gather and reconnect and reminisce and are reminded of how brief life is. Over these years that seem like ours, we have learned how to live with joy and sorrow, delight and disappointment, blessing and brokenness. We confess that at times we've been unwise and we've lost our perspective and have wandered away from you and each other. 
We want to come back. We want to hit that reset button and walk with you and each other. You are our eternal companion, the one who knows the way home. So Jesus, we pray that you would greet us as we awake every morning with renewed mercies for a new day and the assurance of your unfailing love for every kind of day. May our children and our children's children see who you are in the beauty of holiness, life lived out in, our, in us, and what you do best in the lives of all those who have an intense desire to experience and express your redeeming love. Give us a heart of wisdom so that the rest of our days may be the best of our days. In this we pray for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of all that you love in your precious name. Amen.